Well, let me say it's a joy to be with you tonight. It dawned on me as I was sitting there in the worship here that I am your regional home missionary. <laughs> yes, I am. <laughs> we have this, uh, this bond together, and I appreciate very much uh, your prayers for me in my labor. But as I said, particular privilege and joy to me tonight uh, to be with you, and as ever, a privilege to minister the word. I'm going to turn to the book of James tonight. I understand that your pastor preached a bit in James during the summer, so that helps. I don't need to give an introduction to James. We can jump right in. Uh, and I want to be bringing a, 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 a theme that's threaded through the whole of the first chapter. So James chapter 1, I will read this evening the whole of the chapter. This is the word of the Lord. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes in the dispersion, greetings. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. The sun rises with its scorching heat and it withers the grass, its flower falls, and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, 
to visit orphans and widows in their affliction, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. God's holy word, may he write upon our hearts. Let's pray again together. Our gracious Father, we do come to you now and ask you to do that work in us which only you can do by word and spirit. We pray this, that Jesus Christ might be glorified, that he might be seen more and more in us, formed in us. Indeed, Lord, that he might be glorified. And so we come in our need and we wait upon you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, brothers and sisters, uh, it is particularly when we are amidst trial that we give expression to what we really believe. Uh, we speak when we're amidst testing and trial, and that which we speak is very revealing. When we're amidst trial, all of us speak, which, by which we mean we, we give utterance, don't we? We give utterance to what we really believe, perhaps not aloud. Perhaps we simply speak within our hearts, but we speak, and we say what we speak reveals what we really believe, or what really, maybe we'd say what we're really believing at the time, yes? Well, James has much to say to us about wisdom. He has much to say to us about true faith. But concerning wisdom, we see here in James chapter 1 that the very first lessons he brings by the Spirit of God have to do with wisdom amidst testing and trial, how we think and how we act amidst trial and testing. Again, we could say how true faith acts, how true faith speaks amidst testing and trial. Now, in a fallen world, both, both the believer and the unbeliever have this in common. Both experience trials and difficulties. However, because of God's saving purpose, because of his sovereign power and grace, uh, trials and difficulties have a very different purpose and outcome for the believer. So we know, don't we, that uh, only the child of God has reason to rejoice in trials. Only the child of God has a solid comfort regarding trials. The unbeliever does not. Trials in the hand of God produce in the child of God greater dependence, increase of faith, and richer communion with Christ. Trials for the one who lives in unbelief only produce frustration and anger, along with uh, a greater self-dependence or dependence upon others. We know then, don't we, that it's the lot of the child of God to view trials in an entirely different way than the world sees them. Now we see very clearly here that it is amidst trial that our all-wise God perfects our faith. Uh, we are to count it all joy 
when we encounter various trials. And we say, well, how so? How's that possible? Or why is it entirely reasonable for the believer? Well, because we believe that God does indeed rule the world. At least that's what we say we believe. But we find out amidst testing, don't we, how much we really believe that. But we do believe, as Christians, as good Reformed folks, we do believe that God indeed rules the world, our world. And we believe in his unceasing purpose to bless us and to change us into the image of Christ. I'm particularly interested in observing this evening what is said in this chapter concerning speech amidst trial. In other words, as we've said already, what we give utterance to, what we give expression to when we're being tested, when we encounter trials, what comes out of our mouths when we're in the test, or what we say, and what we say within our hearts, even, while we're amidst the test. For as James shows, indeed he shows us this, what we speak is revelatory of what we believe. We are then, as believers, to give most careful attention to what we say, especially what we say, what we express, amidst testing and trial. And as we shall see, this helps us to see whether ours is a disposition of trust, of faith, or whether it's one of double-mindedness or doubting. Do we truly turn to God in trust, or do we find ourselves doubting him, questioning his purpose, or failing altogether to see his purpose while we are being tested. So tonight we consider from James chapter 1 these two primary points. First of all, the response of faith amidst testing. And secondly, the response of double-mindedness amidst testing. So first, the response of faith amidst testing or trial. And I realize as we bring these lessons tonight, no doubt for most of us, these are familiar lessons, aren't they? Uh, James chapter 1, no doubt familiar and, and particularly loved chapter for most of us as believers. But how we need to hear the same things again and again, and that's part of what a pastor does, isn't it? Your pastor stands up and he preaches. It seems that he stands up every Sunday and he says, says the same thing or very similar things. So it's a joy, isn't it, to come to a familiar passage and anticipate that the Spirit of God will speak to us and speak to each of us according to our particular needs. So the response of faith <clears throat> amidst testing or trial, verse 2, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. I'm to count it all joy. We know this, don't we? Again, familiar truth. I'm to count it all joy. So ours is to be a proper reckoning. I'm to speak thusly in my heart regarding the trial in which I find myself. And trials or tests, 
They come in all sizes. In fact, the Greek word I think here is, it has the idea of, of polka dots. They, you know, they come in various, various ways, in all sizes, various kinds. Uh, some tests are extended and very difficult. Other tests are very brief and difficult. They're all difficult. That's why they're tests. But yes, some are very extended, some are more brief. But I'm to count it all joy. In other words, I'm to make a proper reckoning of what I'm going through, a proper reckoning concerning the tests. And I'm able to make such a reckoning because I know, or I should know, something very clearly about the test in which I find myself. I know that it is God's purpose to test and refine faith. Every believer really knows that. I know that's his purpose, but I can lose sight of it, yes? My gracious God is testing me, and I know that he is seeking to refine me, and I know that such testing produces patience. So James says, count it all joy, for you know, you know this, <laughs> that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, patience or steadfastness, continuing to look to God, to come to God, to trust God, particularly amidst sustained and prolonged difficulty. We could say this is a characteristic disposition. I look to God. I learn to look to God amidst difficulty. Now we see here how James tells us that faith is actually very active amidst trial. Faith is very active. What is its activity? How does it show itself? Well, very simply, it prays. <laughs> this is true faith now. True faith, you see, true faith speaks. I speak. I speak to God. So I'm to speak to God. We see that in verse 5. Again, see this, this truth now, threaded through the whole of the chapter. I speak to God, or I'm to speak to God. James says, verse 5, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. So I'm to pray. Very simple truth, isn't it? I'm to pray. I'm to come to him amidst trial, asking for wisdom. Isn't it a beautiful truth? I'm to come to him asking for wisdom. Yes, this is the utterance that we learn to make amidst testing. It's prayer. And it is, in fact, a very focused prayer. It's a prayer for wisdom. I come to God. I speak to God. And I am to ask in faith. James says, let him ask in faith with no doubting. I come to God, I speak to God, I pray to God believingly. Which is to say, I ask in faith. When I ask in faith, I am in effect confessing that God does indeed rule the world. He rules my world. 
even for my good, that he purposes this test for blessing to show me more of himself and of his ways. In other words, to give me wisdom. And that my great need is indeed for wisdom, to know how to please him, to know what he's doing, to understand more clearly what he's doing, what he's doing in me, and that his giving to me of wisdom is the priority for all of life. This is what he's always seeking to do in me, and certainly we can say, can't we? This is what he's always seeking to do in me when I am being tested, always. It's wonderful, I can always know this is the case. Why is this happening to me? I know why. What am I to do? I know what I'm to do. But sometimes we miss it, don't we? But this is what it means to ask in faith with no doubting. Now the alternative to this is double-mindedness. And that kind of speech which accompanies double-mindedness. So consider, let's consider together the response of double-mindedness amidst testing. We could say the response of an unbelieving. This is, the, this is an unbelieving disposition when one is tested. How does an unbelieving disposition show itself? James says, let him ask in faith with no doubting. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Now, note very carefully here. In a state of double-mindedness, James says, one may even pray, but that one is not believing in God's perfect control and ordering. You know, a lot of people pray when they get into difficulty. A lot of, actually, a lot of unbelievers pray when they get into difficulty. Oftentimes, the believer prays. He prays in a particular way when he gets into difficulty, but it may not be an expression of faith. So I may pray when I'm tested, for example, Lord, get me out of this. But I've not taken the time to consider his purpose, to reflect believingly on his purpose. So we can say there are various forms that prayer takes when one is caught up in double-mindedness, when one's actually doubting God's purpose. I may pray, but pray rather angrily. Lord, why does this have to happen? This is the prayer of one caught up in double-mindedness. And the sad result, James says, that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. I receive no wisdom. Why? I'm not really seeking wisdom. In the example I just gave, I just want the difficulty to be over. And I'm perplexed, or I'm dismayed, or I'm questioning. But notice also this. When one is caught up in double-mindedness, that person will actually find himself lashing out against God. Here's one of the features of double-mindedness. Verse 13, again, we're following this thread through the chapter now. Verse 13, let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God. 
Now notice this, in double-mindedness, or lack of faith now we could say, instead of speaking to God, I speak about him in my heart. I speak at him or talk about him in my heart. I complain about him and his dealings with me. I question him and his purpose. And so in this case, I speak, I give utterance. Maybe it's, it's, it's simply within my heart. I give utterance. But instead of speaking to God, I speak about him. Lord, this is too hard. Sometimes we'll say that. This is too hard. Now, all these examples I'm about to give, they're the equivalent of, they really are the equivalent of, I'm being tempted by God. This is too hard. Not this again. I don't have to do this. Have you ever said that? I don't have to put up with this. That's the equivalent of saying I'm being tempted by God. I don't like this. Ever said that? All of us have said it. I can't do this. It's like saying, I've been set up to fail. I'm being tempted by God. All of this is against me. And I hate it. Ever said that? Well, maybe not in the precise words, but something like it. So we say, when one is caught up, if one may be characteristically double-minded, but if one is caught up, Christians are capable of being caught up in double-mindedness. So if I'm caught up in double-mindedness, I will actually find myself lashing out against God. Maybe I do it in subtle ways. Maybe I'm not even thinking about what I'm doing. Maybe I'm not really thinking about what I am giving expression to. But I find myself lashing out against God. Instead of speaking to God, I speak about him in my heart. Now notice it's further expressed in verses 19 and 20, which shows both sides of the matter, both alternatives. James writes, Know this, my beloved brethren, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness that God requires. So the one who's learning to come to God amidst difficulty, to trust him, is quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Double-minded one, slow to hear, <laughs> quick to speak, quick to anger. When I'm complaining about God's dealings with me, when I have a bone to pick with him about my circumstances, I'm engaged in a slow burn beneath the surface. So we need to give attention, don't we? We need to give attention to how we speak. We need to give attention to what we express in our hearts amidst difficulty what we're giving expression to. So think about what James says here also in terms of 
looking into the Word like a mirror. I need to look at myself. I need to examine my speech in light of the Word. I need to think about when I enter into trial, I'm experiencing difficulty. What am I giving expression to in my heart? What am I saying? How am I talking about it with others? It comes out that way too, doesn't it? What am I saying? It's revelatory of what I really believe. I'll find myself, in fact, lashing out against those around me. Verse 21, James writes, Therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. So we're discontent. Uh, we want something other than what God has ordained, certainly in terms of our circumstances at this point. Put all of it away, says James. All that overflow of wickedness. Think about what God is doing here. Think about the test. Think about his purpose in the test. What are you giving expression to? Are you seeing in your life the expression of dependence upon God, of true faith? James says, receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. So when I ask for wisdom, I'm to be listening, and listening to a very specific source, receiving from a very specific source uh, uh, this word. I come to God. I want to be quick to hear. Slow to speak. Slow to anger. Quick to hear. What is God saying to me? What is his lesson for me here? Because there is a lesson. Always. What is his lesson for me here? So think about this lesson that James brings all through this chapter. <clears throat> he exhorts us, he directs us away from this uh, double-minded response to God to a response of faith. Very simple steps that he puts before us here. I'm amidst a test. I'm to ask wisdom of God. That's what he has in it for me. I'm to be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to give utterance, and we're to receive with meekness the implanted word. Now, now notice what we speak, how we speak, what we give utterance to is actually the measure of true religion, and James speaks to that at the end of the chapter, doesn't he? If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Now we know this, don't we? What I, my speech, what I say, what I give utterance to is very much a measure of my spiritual maturity, my growth in Christ. So I need to examine it, and, and James' lesson here, particularly amidst the test, Brothers and sisters, when you find yourself amidst testing and trial, what is it that you confess? We confessed our faith tonight. Now when I'm amidst trial, 
What do I confess? Trials and tests, we say, come in all sizes. We've said some tests are extended and very difficult. No doubt there's some in, in our gathering tonight who you've been experiencing particular tests for years. Extended testing. Other tests are brief, but we say they're all difficult. I'm to see God's hand, and I'm to see every test as an opportunity. So consider carefully again, what is it that we're called to believe? Now again, what I'm about to say for, for every Christian, every believer, all that I'm about to say here we already know. But here we are, endeavoring to look, to gaze in the mirror and remember what we see now. What is it we're called to believe? I'm called to believe in the sovereignty of God in this trial. God really controls the world, and he most wisely and powerfully controls my world, my life, and all of its circumstances. Do you believe that? I know you do. Ah, here's a simple little test, though. And we're tested in various ways, whether, whether we believe in the sovereignty of God and uh, his purpose, specific purpose in my life. Maybe this, is better, maybe this is a test particularly, or an example particularly for men. I, maybe. Okay, so you're driving. How about this? <laughs> you're driving. And you want to get somewhere. And there is a slow driver ahead of you. What do you do? It's a very simple thing. Very simple example, isn't it? Slow driver ahead of you. What do we believe about the sovereignty of God? We believe he controls all things, yes. Yes, we believe he put that driver ahead of us, and he put that driver ahead of us for a purpose, and God wants to give us wisdom, and he calls us to come to him for wisdom. Now, this is a very simple. You'd almost say, well, that's not really even a test, is it? That's a kind of test. You see something come out of yourself there. Why do the slow drivers all, why are the slow drivers always in front of me? Answer, we know, right? Because God put them there. My good. And for his glory. Well, it's a simple, simple little example, isn't it? Think about the more extended sort of test. What are we called to believe? I, I'm called to believe in the sovereignty of God in this trial. God really controls the world. He really controls my world precisely. Every test precisely designed for my good. That's, that's good Calvinism now, isn't it? Every test wonderfully designed for my good. How can God do this? Well, because he's God. How can he keep track of all these things? Pastor Dan made reference, you know, in his, what he was saying earlier in the service, you know, that this, this majestic God, how can he do this? How can he keep track of every life? How can he control, ordain every detail of every life, every moment of the day? Because God is God. 
Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's high. I can't attain it. I'm called to believe in the sovereignty of God in the trial. I'm called to believe in the generosity of God, the goodness of God, as I come to him seeking wisdom. I'm called to believe, yes, in his goodness. Yes, this test really is perfect for me. And I'm called really to believe in the priority of wisdom above everything else. Uh, I'm learning what it is truly to commune with God and to walk with him. That's nature, wisdom. What it is to walk with him. So what's the drill here, if I could put it this way? You're amidst a test, undoubtedly, for some of you, some of us, tomorrow, undoubtedly, we'll be confronted with particular tests, undoubtedly. What's the action of faith? What does true faith look like now? How does it act? What does it say? Well, true faith says this. Lord, I believe you control the whole world. And you control my world. And I know this is for my good. And I come to you now, and I ask you for wisdom. It's a beautiful thing, isn't it? I ask you for wisdom. I know in this test, there's a very particular way to please you. And this is for my good. One of the hymn writers puts it this way, Father, I know that all my life is portioned out for me. The changes that are sure to come I do not fear to see. I ask thee for a present mind intent on pleasing thee. I ask thee for the daily strength to none that ask denied. A mind to blend with outward life while keeping at thy side. Content to fill a little space if thou be glorified. Brothers and sisters, what we say, what we give utterance to amidst the test is revelatory. It's so simple, isn't it? Revelatory of where we really are in our Christian life. It's very helpful. So tomorrow, or this week, or the test you're in right now, we bow low before our sovereign God and our Heavenly Father. And we say to Him, Lord, I know this is good for me. Sometimes that's hard to say. I know this is good for me. I know this is for my good. And I know you want me to come to you and ask for wisdom, and you will always give it. It's beautiful. He will always give it. So often it's the case that we simply need to stop and listen to him. To walk with the Lord is a wonderful thing.
to know his work in my life every day <laughs> is a wonderful thing. And we bless him for this. We worship him for this. What an amazing God. What a loving Heavenly Father we serve. May he give us wisdom in the year ahead. May we all uh, face testing in a more mature way. Quick to hear, slow to speak, coming to our Heavenly Father through Jesus Christ that he might give us the wisdom he wonderfully promises. Let's pray together. Father, grant this to us, we pray. We confess tonight again how very weak we are, how clouded our thinking often is, how we fail to see what is right in front of our eyes. We believe and we bless you for this, our Father. We believe you control this whole world, our lives, and every test is perfect. So give us that grace to bow low before you, to seek you, communion with you, the wisdom you so freely give. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's close with a hymn, brothers and sisters. We're going to turn to hymn number 94 in the uh, Trinity hymnal, number 94. How firm a foundation, ye saints of the Lord. And we'll stand as we sing. Mm -hmm.